1: Peter also understood that without that cornerstone, the building itself would be useless. If the cornerstone wasn't there, there was no need for the building at all. He also knew that the Jewish leadership, as well as all the others who had rejected Jesus as the chief cornerstone, they remained condemned and outside of the kingdom of God. All of their religious work was useless. Everything that they tried to do in a religious manner or some uh, kind of way of hopefully appeasing God was absolutely useless because they rejected the cornerstone.
0: Any Mason knows that the cornerstone of a building is absolutely pivotal to its foundation. The Word of God says that Jesus is the chief cornerstone of the Christian faith. Without Christ, the entire church collapses. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us that though the Pharisees and Sadducees worked hard in their religious rituals to appease God in their own strength, because they rejected the chief cornerstone, they stood condemned and outside the kingdom of God. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message, Jesus, the chief cornerstone from 1 Peter chapter 2.
1: Now, for those of you that have been with us for very long, you know that usually when we're doing this verse-by-verse study, I'll usually back up a little bit and kind of get a running start into the section that we're going to be studying to be able to put it into context. And the reason we want to put it into context is to be able to give a real clarity of the meaning of what we're studying. So this morning is no different. Though we're going to actually begin our study in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, I want to back up a little bit. So if you would, let's back up to the book of Matthew. That's, I know that's a big backup, but let's go to Matthew chapter 21 is where we're going to actually start this morning. In Matthew chapter 21, what's going on at this point in time, this is uh, near the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's there in the temple in Jerusalem ministering there, and during his entire time while he's there, the Jewish leadership, the religious leadership of that day are coming against Jesus in every way that they possibly can. They're giving him a hard a difficult time and everything, asking all kinds of questions, trying to trick him into saying something that would allow them to bring some sort of accusation against him. They had already questioned him about the authority that he had to be able to not only heal people, but even uh, cleaning out the temple from all the money changers. And Jesus responded to that in a way that they couldn't uh, respond back. And as he continues to talk to these Jewish leaders, to the religious Religious leaders, we find ourselves in Matthew 21, and I want you to look down in verse 33, if you would. Jesus speaking to the religious leaders, he says, here another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it. He dug a wine press in it and built a tower, and he leased it to the vine dressers and went into a far country. Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son, or they will honor my son. They said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize inher- his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these vine dressers? And they said to him, He will destroy these wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to the other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits of their seasons. Now I need to stop right there. I need to tell you, Jesus is not giving them a parable about the dangers of having rental properties. Okay? That's, that's not what this parable is about. It comes with its own problems, but that's not what he's sharing here. Jesus goes on to speak to him in verse 42. Jesus said to them, have you never read in scripture The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder." Now, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard these parables, they perceived, in other words, they finally caught it, they perceived that he was speaking to them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. In other words, they wanted to destroy Jesus, but because the multitude looked and honored Jesus... They knew that they wouldn't be able to do anything. Jesus describing himself brings him back to the writings of the psalmist in Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23, when he speaks about the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in his eyes. Jesus was re- relating to them through that scripture, how the Jewish leadership had rejected Jesus as the Son of God, as the Messiah. These religious leaders, rejecting Jesus was not a big deal. For them, they could reject Jesus, and there was no concept to them. But when Jesus says, in rejecting me, you're rejecting God's plan, therefore God is going to take the kingdom from you, and he's going to give it to another nation. Now that outraged them. That suddenly hit them really where, where, where it got their attention. Because for the Jew, there was only two kinds of people. There were the Jews and then there were the everybody else. And everybody else was a Gentile. If you weren't a Jew, you were a Gentile. And the Jews knew that to them belonged the kingdom of God. They were God's special and promised people. But when Jesus comes up and says no, Because you've rejected me, God's going to take that kingdom from you and give it to the Gentiles. That's what outraged them. That's what angered them so much. Now, bearing in mind this parable that Jesus spoke, bearing in mind this situation, you need to understand that with Jesus at that point in time is also... Peter, the apostle, as well as all the other apostles, all the other disciples that are with him. They're there with him at that time. They saw the conflict. They heard as Jesus pulled Psalm 118 and related it to the leadership about being about himself. So the impact of that we're going to see in Peter's life. Let's fast forward now. Out of Matthew, let's move on ahead. Not quite to First Peter yet, but let's go to Acts chapter 3, in the book of Acts, chapter 3. In the book of Acts, chapter 3, we find that Peter and John are on their way to the temple during the time of prayer, and as you read the story, you realize that as they're there, they find the lame man, and Peter is, uh, again, instrumental by the Lord's hand of reaching out to this lame man, and the lame man being healed from his lameness, and he was lame since birth. Well, this lame man, in being healed, he jumps up and begins running around, and all the people around the temple suddenly see what's going on. They're excited about it. They rush over there to see what's happening, and in all of the confusion, and all of the disturbance, the temple police and the Sadducees come down, and they arrest Peter And John, they throw him in jail overnight. The next day, they're brought before the high court, which is called the Sanhedrin. So all of these Jewish leaders now, they're bringing them up on charges about, in essence, disturbing the peace. We read in Acts chapter 4, as they're speaking before the Sanhedrin, the, the chief priests, Peter has a chance to speak out on his own behalf. And in chapter 4, beginning in verse 8, we read where Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, By the way, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, there's a lot that we could say about this whole passage, both before it and after it. But the thing that I want to draw your attention to is Peter's use, once again, of going back to that passage from Psalm 118. Again, relaying this. You need to understand who he's speaking to here. He's speaking to the Jewish leadership who just a few months prior to that had that very same accusation pointed toward them by Jesus himself. The very leadership that Jesus spoke to just a few months ago, now Peter is standing before, and he's saying the same thing to them. So to pull this all together, Peter's understanding, his connection of that verse is very important. Peter understood and knew that Jesus Christ was the chief cornerstone in all that God was building within his kingdom. Peter also understood that without that cornerstone, the building itself would be useless. If the cornerstone wasn't there, there was no need for the building at all. He also knew that the Jewish leadership, as well as all the others who had rejected Jesus as the chief cornerstone, they remained condemned and outside of the kingdom of God. All of their religious work was useless. Everything that they tried to do in a religious manner or some uh, kind of way of hopefully appeasing God was absolutely useless because they rejected the cornerstone. No matter how good it would have been, because they rejected the cornerstone, God says your work, your lives, actually are useless. So now let's fast forward 1 Peter chapter 2. With all of that background, we see where Peter's going as he carries even the same concept as he's writing to the church here. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, we read, "...coming to him," speaking to believers, speaking about coming to Christ, he says, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scriptures Behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed." As Peter writes these things, the very first things he declares, he says, coming to Jesus, coming to him as a living stone. The great thing about the Greek language is you can understand a little bit better through the through the tense and through the mood of the verbs used what he's speaking here. Peter's not talking about our initial coming to Jesus, about our initial conversion experience. No, he's talking about an ongoing, continual coming to Jesus. He has in mind that idea of our continual pursuit of the presence of Jesus in our lives. He says you continue to come to him, coming to him in that desiring way of of learning and of growing in him. He has that understanding that if you and I are believers in Christ, that there will be that desire in our lives to pursue after the things of Christ, to pursue that relationship with him. He says here coming to him, coming to Jesus as A living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God. And precious. And just as we spoke in the opening of this, all the way back in Matthew, but actually all the way back to Psalm 118, then Matthew 21, and then Acts chapter four, Peter uses a metaphor that's already laid out in scripture that speaks of who Jesus is. Jesus is that living stone, the cornerstone, the very foundation of the kingdom of God. Jesus isn't some dead saint. He's, he's not a relic. He's not some concept. He's not even a way of life. Jesus is the resurrected one of God. He's the foundation that the Lord builds his kingdom upon. And beloved, just as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that there's no other foundation that anyone can lay but that which is laid, and that is Jesus Christ. In your life, in my life, in the life of the entire world, if we're going to be pleasing to God, The foundation of our life has to be centered on, has to be established on, Jesus Christ himself. Again, the foundational stone that needs to be in place. Yet Peter tells us that this living stone was rejected by men. The sad reality is that the, the vast majority of humanity has rejected the call of Jesus Christ as the one and only Savior of God. You look at the world today and you realize those who are truly born again are a very small minority in the grandeur of of the populace of the whole world, even in the United States. I would say that true believing Christians are not the majority in our country. We can tell that just by the direction and the way and the mood that our country is moving at this point in time. Jesus himself says that broad is the way, and many there be that find it that leads to destruction. But narrow is the way, and few there be that find eternal life. The vast majority of folks have rejected the reality of Jesus as being that cornerstone. God yet chose him for that very purpose. As Peter said, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Contrast again, the heart of man and the purpose of God. We look at that word precious Another version puts it and says, "...whom whom men have thrown away as useless, but for God he is the most valuable stone." The, the picture that I get in my mind here of men throw away as useless, but for God a very valuable stone is as if we're at, there at the mountains and we're chipping away at a mine and we're looking for certain stones and suddenly as we're chipping away with our hammer, we, this, this, this stone rolls out bigger than a golf ball and it's all, uh, white and, and clear and, uh, we look at it and say, no, That's not what I was looking for. And we throw it behind us and we keep digging because we're looking for agates or we're looking for turquoise or we're looking for some other stone. But yet the very thing that came out was a diamond. And we've thrown it behind us thinking that it's useless. That's the very idea of what Peter is saying here. Rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious. The word "precious" when we look at that English versions when we translate it into our English language, it should have that meaning of the value of something, just like again, precious gems or precious stones. But my mind kind of works whenever I see this word "precious," it goes a whole different way. Not only the Hobbit thing that messed me up about being so, so precious, but um, the the thing when you when you, when you look at babies and you look at little babies, and say, oh, isn't that precious? That that's not what Peter had in mind here. Peter had in mind here something that's honored, something that's valued greatly, precious in the eyes of God. And as Peter writes, he has that idea of great honor because of his great Value, Even though the world rejected Jesus Christ, he was chosen by God and was given that great honor, again, of being that cornerstone. That's why you and I as believers, we're continually coming to Jesus. We're drawn to him. We desire him in our lives because of that great value, because he's worthy of all of our honor. We move on. We look at verse 5. Peter really, I believe at this point in time, starts getting excited about our impact, our relationship of of all that he's saying here. In verse 5, he says, oh, and you also, and he's speaking to you and I as believers. He says, you also are, are living stones, and you're being built up in this spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ as believers. You and I were also living stones. We're actually a very vital part in all that God is doing within His kingdom. We are part of God's handiwork. Beloved, the Lord didn't save you. Jesus didn't die for you. He didn't spill His blood on you just simply so you could get a one-way ticket to heaven. He didn't save you and bring you into his kingdom just for you to take up a seat in a church and suck air for the rest of your life. He saved you for a purpose. He made you his own, and he calls you living stones being built up together in that spiritual house. God has a reason and a purpose for bringing us into his kingdom. And the coolness about all that is the fact that we are now Partnered, literally, with Jesus himself, who is the living stone, the foundation stone. And we, as living stones, are now built up upon him, building that spiritual house. Partnering with Jesus in this great building. Beloved, when we stop and think about it, that's got to be pretty cool to us to think that God has called us to work. In conjunction with all that Christ has already done. The foundation that's already there. And to be built upon that. But that's not all. There's more. We look at not only are we living stones. Built up in this spiritual house. But he says that we are called into the priesthood. We are called into that holy Priesthood. Now, I know that some of you have probably come from church traditions where the priest was exalted up above the people, and the priest was the one that you went through, and through the priest you had this connection with God. And all, that's not anything at all what Peter is writing to us about here. I, I look around the room, and I don't see anybody here in in robes or priestly garments at all. But yet we are called as believers into the priesthood. What I do see around me all over this room are individuals. Individuals with particular hurts. Individuals with particular struggles within their lives. People that have had great victories and some people that have had again great defeats during their walk in Christ. I understand that. The Lord understands that we as dust, we have weaknesses, we have struggles. But beloved, you need to understand too, he has called you to himself and he has said that in him you are now holy priests. Think about that for a moment. That ought to kind of blow you away. It ought to kind of uh, shake you up a little bit to understand, no, God is calling me as his priest. And not only as his priest, he says, as his priest, you and I are called to make spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Well, what in the world does that mean? What kind of sacrifices are we to bring? We don't do the animal sacrifice anymore. We don't do that kind of a thing. So what kind of a sacrifice is he really speaking about here? Well, one of the things that I know that he's speaking about, we find in the book of Romans. If you turn to Romans chapter 12 with me. Some of our spiritual sacrifices might be in the good works, it might be in the deeds that we do around us as we serve the world that's around us. But I believe that it's much, much more.
0: Thanks for tuning in today for Pastor David Landry's verse by verse study through the book of 1 Peter here on the Open Word. We're glad we're able to bring you these teachings straight from God's Word, but we're even more glad you chose to spend time with us today. We love hearing from our listeners, so please give us a call if you have a moment. Our phone number here is 520 836 9676. That's 520 836 9676. Let us know too how we can be praying for you. Are you a part of a local church? Joining and actively getting involved in a local body of believers is a great way to grow in your faith. It's a place where you can learn about the power and love of the Savior and ask questions among other imperfect, seeking people. You'll find support in times of need and be able to offer help to others in your own unique way. If you have yet to find a local church in your area, we'd encourage you to start looking today. And if you're in the Casa Grande area, Pastor David has a special invitation
1: for you. Hey, thanks, Chris. You know, I'd like to personally invite you to join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Word of God. We meet every Sunday at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock in the morning, as well as Wednesday evening and Saturday evening at 6.30. You can find our address and directions by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church page. I look forward to meeting you in person and sharing this journey of faith with you.
0: Thanks, Pastor David. Join us next time for another edition of The Open Word.